some glad morning when this life is over. Okay. Sorry, a couple minutes late. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, pray for the Lord's presence in, our, in this house. <laughs> our dear Father, we uh, just praise you for this day. We thank you for everything you've done for us. You're providing salvation for us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this house where we're gathered. And uh, we just pray that you would help us to uh, worship your name and uh, learn your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing, uh, To God Be the Glory. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. The people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our victory, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Amen. Pastor? Test one, two. Hey. Now it's too loud. All right. Still got to come down some, Leonard. Still too hot. Okay, this, this um, graphic 
was given to us by uh, Kathy um, Travis, and um, she actually got it from the um, Gideon guy at Tucson Estates. <laughs> so, but this is this is a description of what we ended with last week, and we can refer to some of this tonight because we're still going to talk about this this statue a little bit. Um, but we're jumping into chapter 3, and there's some similarities, but there's a lot of variations from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Daniel's not mentioned in chapter 3. And, you know, whatever impression that, that we have to think about that Daniel made on the king in chapter 2 didn't carry over to chapter 3 very well. Um, when Daniel interpreted the dream, the king, he... he Whatever information he deemed important at that point, he lost it in chapter 3 completely. Um, I believe with the passing of time and the fact that he no longer was listening and Daniel, maybe Daniel's presence caused him to even go off track even more, or lack of presence, I should say. But we don't know that. But his lust for power really came out in chapter 3, the kings did. So in that first, in that very first verse, it says King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high, or 66 cubits in the Old Testament, uh, in, in the King James, and nine feet wide, or six cubits. Now, 66 and six, 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 six. Now we're going to talk about those numbers and, and how some of that ties into some other things once we get into this a little bit. But... And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, when you first look at this chapter, and we first just, just topically review it, it doesn't look like it's anything other than the king wants people to worship the statue or to bow down. And there's, there's two different avenues of thoughts on this statue. So as we talk about this, when we think about this, you have to understand something. Let's go back to our graphic for just a second. The head of gold, before we read this next part, the head of gold, who did that represent? Babylon. But, but who did it represent? Not what country, but who? Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he's, 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 getting, he's getting full of himself is the best way to describe it. He was the leader of Babylon's golden kingdom, golden time. And he's, he's actually, and the people don't see it, and it doesn't really come out till later on in the passages, but he's wanting to put together a one-world religion. This is one of the first attempts at a one-world religion. And, and we don't always see it that way. Um, we have to understand the fact that the 66 cubits and the 6 cubit, do you realize how high that is? It, it's 90 feet, but it's, a, it's, the, it's the typical height of an eight-story building. Now put that, in your, put that in your mind for a second and think about how tall this thing was, and it was 9 feet wide. And these screens are about 7 feet wide. I think that one might be 8. So it'd be a little wider than that one. Um, why gold? Why was 
Nebuchadnezzar the golden guy? Or why was Babylon the golden kingdom? We talked about it a little bit last week. Do you remember? Because of their governmental styles and the way the government was structured, they were, they were the empire at the time. They were the ones that set the precedence for all the other ones. Now, if you look at some of this, back to your graphic for a second, the breast and arms of Caesar, of silver, rather, uh, that was the Medio, Media, Medo-Persian Empire, and basically just Persia. The belly and the thighs of brass, that was who? That was Greece, in actuality. Um, the legs of iron was a Roman Empire. We're going to see that later on as we get into some of this. And the feet and toes, the part iron, part clay, that mixture of stuff that we talked about, each one of those is in descending order, is not as strong as the empire preceding it. So this, this graphic gives you an idea of how those things fit together. <clears throat> Do you guys sense Nebuchadnezzar's self-centeredness in any of this? It's, it's going to come out. He was number one, and he's going to let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that he's number one. He's going to tell them here in a few minutes. Um, he was the greatest. He was the golden child, if you would. His kingdom was the golden kingdom, and he didn't understand. You know, he forgot. Think about what it says here. He just confessed in Chapter 2, verse 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And he was, of course, talking to Daniel. But what took place is Nebuchadnezzar experienced God's power right then because of what, the way Daniel interpreted his dream. But he forgot that. He didn't truly see God or hear God. Even though God may have been represented and showing him what was going to take place, he didn't catch the vision. Do we see that some days in churches today? There's a lot of things that they don't see. Nebuchadnezzar's statement of faith was based on a visible experience, not an experiential experience. And there's a difference when you think about those things. It wasn't, it wasn't a spiritual reality for him. Okay? So verses 2 and 3, somebody read those for us. And you can read it from the sheet, or you can read it from your own version. If you read it from a different version, tell us what version you're reading from. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Nine, oh, two. two and three, the one further down. He then summoned the, the traps. Say traps. Officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial, provincial, provincial 
Okay, put that vision in your mind for a second. Who was there? Not at not everybody. It was the big shots. It was the leaders. It was the representatives of each one of the people groups that were in Babylon at the time. But but look at look at his strategy here. It was the representatives of the people groups. It was those that wielded the most influence during that time. And they could demand and command those other people to follow what Nebuchadnezzar was telling them. Now think about this for a second. We talked about this a little bit last week. One world political system was already existed. It was there, okay? That leadership surely included the military power. It included probably a good economy. The communication system must have been excellent. Because when he sent that out and sent that message, everybody showed up. So you have to think about this. All the rulers that were under his authority were, were, were commanded to be there, and they all came. So that's a pretty good communication system. One thing was lacking, a united religion, a one-world religion. And this was his ultimate goal, but they didn't catch it till it was too late. They didn't envision it or see it. Think about this. What is the one thing that causes more disunity, more conflict, and more war than anything else? Religion. Religion has always done that. When we look at the Middle East, what do we see? Turmoil, war, conflict. And the nation of Israel is usually at the butt of most of it. I mean, who, in general, what is the one religious group that is most feared as far as terrorists today? Islam. And, and, and unfortunately, that's becoming more and more of an issue for a lot of different countries. But Israel's always at the tail end of that. So this united religion. Now, I, I decided to go easy on you guys. You have the fill-ins, but they're in gray. I wanted to make it simple for you. That's a lie. I forgot to change it and take them out and make them blanks. Um, a united religion was the purpose that the image, and it was finally revealed in these next scriptures. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down. Now, now get this. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, Put this picture in your mind. They had to fall prostrate on the ground and worship that idol when they heard the music. Or else they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. This dedication was an elaborate affair. It wasn't a just, a, just a get together. This was a big to-do. And Nebuchadnezzar was smart 
He knew that music stirred the soul and stirred the heart. And he used that to his advantage. Music is wielding a, a tremendous influence in the religious world right now. Music is a spiritual aid to worship for us. But here's the problem. Ephesians 5.19 talks of it. And he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't use it for good. He used it for evil. But he used it as a trigger. Nebuchadnezzar knew the power of music and he followed the pattern that was set by the originator of all the world's music. Do you remember who that is? Jubal. There's our scholars. And he came from the godless line of Cain. Genesis 4.21 says, His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. So he was the one. Is religion important to a nation? Yes? No? Maybe so? You don't know? Okay. Religion is an integral part of any civilized society. It, it, it's just as necessary as the political philosophies, the military forces, and the financial stability are this financial system in that organization or country. It was not until all the people were assembled and all this was announced that they fully understood what was going on. But it was a little too late because the edict had already been made. And there was a problem there. Man is intuitively religious. He is seeking something to worship. And the desire responds more readily when there is an object or a subject to be worshipped. And it works much better if that object is a person to worship. That's why we get in trouble. Because we want to worship a person, not the living God. So religion and commerce would ultimately be integrated to such an extent that one can't exist without the other. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was working towards. Revelations 13, 15 through 17 says this, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now this is over in Revelation, but he's, the same tactics are being used by Nebuchadnezzar. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, we're going to go back to the numbers in a second again. But a religious demonstration was understandably necessary in order to manifest itself here. And that's exactly what he was doing. He wanted to unify and solidify the nation of Babylon, but he was going about it in the wrong way and the wrong method. But he thought if he could do that, and, and think about the Babylonian world empire. He was trying to bring them under the, the auspice of, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. 
What are we here today? United we stand, divided we fall. We have to be careful with some of that. As Christians, we're called out to be separate. We're not always supposed to be united with the rest of the world. We have to be careful about that. Revelation 13, 18 says, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is man's number, and his number is 666. Now, we're not going to get into a lot of heady part of this, but we are going to talk about it for a moment. The number six expresses humanity. It is the number of man. Why do we say that? If you have your Bibles or you, or you, or you want to look it up on your app, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Is this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, an image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for fruit. And so it was. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So on the sixth day, God created man. That's why it's the number of man, and it's the number Six days were appointed for a man to labor in Exodus 20, 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How many of you follow the history in the Bible a lot? Two or three of you? There's six steps that lead to Solomon's throne. And that's the throne of human judgment. When you went up those six steps, you were being judged. Look at 1 Kings 10, 19. The throne had six steps, and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lying standing beside each of them. And let's go back to the statue for a minute and that, that graphic that you have. The image was 60 Six cubits tall. That 90 feet are a story building. Can you imagine this statue standing there, that wide, that big, that tall, and the music start to play, and you're expected to fall down before it? In verse 5, it talks about six musical instruments that we read. It lists the horn, the flute, the harp, the zither, 
the pollster and the dulcimer. Those type of things from the, from the King James. Think about this. This was really the first international music festival. <laughs> but it was designed to pr produce a unified spirit with those that were falling down before that sculptor, that statue. Is it difficult to, today, let's take a side note here for a second, is it difficult today to gauge the type of music that is acceptable in church services? Why? Everybody's shaking their head, yeah, but why? Okay. Okay. So it they're they're not necessarily worshiping the true God. Right. Okay. What else? Is it the music or is it the words or the meaning behind the words? It's the words and the meaning behind the words. You you do realize that a lot of our hymns come from out of bar music. The old style hymns, a lot of that music, not the words, but the music, the tunes. So it's, it's not so much the tune or the music, but it is the message behind that music and, and the verbiage and the words and the meaning behind those words. So that's why a lot of times the, 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 is Paul hiding behind the computers again? Yeah. Those guys with the tech and the and the and the <coughs> the musicians and the singers will sit down and analyze some of the newer music to see if they want to do it or not, and that's to make sure that it 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 follows suit with worshiping a true God. This, of course, was a false god that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, but he was using the music as the catalyst for that. And we have to be careful in some of those areas. Um, it is difficult to judge music. That's why in a lot of churches today, there's a lot of division over music. We see it more and more. Global worship. What happened when the music played before the golden image? They were supposed to fall down and worship. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They were obedient. Why? Because they didn't want to get thrown into the fiery furnace. Yeah. They didn't want to be a crispy critter, right? Um, there was an exception. The three Jewish young men. Now think about this. They refused to participate. Look at what it says in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers, they were Chaldeans, came forward and denounced the Jews. Now I've got some notes on your, note, on your notes that Unger's Bible Dictionary defines the Chaldeans because of their proficiency in the science of astronomy and their skillful practice of astrology the Chaldeans became a special caste of astrologers. 
Their primary city that they worked out of was Babylon, and that became their capital and the very center of intellectual life in all of Western Asia at the time. This intellectual activity was especially employed in the study of the stars, both scientific and as a means of divination. Babylon became famous as the home of all sorts of musicians, saucers, diviners, and other occultists. But part of the problem with that is those Chaldeans went before the king and they accused the Jews. Now, somebody read verses 9 through 12 for us on the top of that page, if they would. Wow, what does that sound like to you? Are they tattling? When I read that, that was the first thing I thought of. That was like when our girls were little and one would tattle on the other one. Did you know what so-and-so? That's exactly what they were doing. We have this defiance of the fateful few here that is, that is coming out. The defiance of Daniel's three friends first appeared in this report to the king by these Chaldeans, and their entire report came about because of jealousy and envy. Now, you have to think about this. There was only four Jews that we know of that were taken from all those other empires that were conquered that were allowed that kind of special treatment and were that high up in rank within the Babylonian kingdom. So these guys are jealous. Daniel and his friends were the only Jews in captivity that were pointed to those positions of leadership. Because we know that only those in positions of leadership were told to come to this assembly. So they had to have a higher up position. And they were thought to be influencing their particular people group. So when they said no, what was going to happen with the rest of the Jews? Now, they were a rebellious bunch anyway, but I mean, what was going to happen, right? So, when the Chaldeans were sentenced to die for their failure to be able to interpret the king's dream, what did they do? Nothing. And they were so thrilled when the four Jewish boys, and Daniel in particular, were able to interpret the dream, but were they going to repay the favor? Nope, not at all. They approached the king according to protocol. They approached the king. Their report was accurate, but they had no mercy and showed no grace to those three young men because of their jealousy. They didn't return that act. Uh, the golden image Nebuchadnezzar had set up was created to unify all those other religions. Just think about it. If Babylon is, is conquering all these empires and all these countries and bringing in all these exiles, how is he going to unify this mess if he doesn't get them all on the same page as religious beliefs? That was his ultimate goal. 
That was what he was trying to do. We have to remember the last Gentile superpower is called, in Revelation 17, 5, the mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of abominations of the earth. And Babylon is listed as that. Um, according to God's words, all, all religions will ultimately come under one authority and unite. Revelation 13.8 says this about the Antichrist. Now, was Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, was he a forerunner, a type of Antichrist? Yes, absolutely. Was he the Antichrist? He might have been during their time, but he's not the Antichrist. Okay. Look at what 13.8 says in Revelation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose name have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that Sunday. Those who believe in Christ during the great tribulation will refuse to worship the image of the beast as they come to know Christ and accept Christ as Savior because there are some that are saved during that time. We talked about that. But they're going to have a difficult time. Life is not going to be easy for them. Um, how did Nebuchadnezzar act or react, I should say, to the three that defied his governmental mandate? Was, was, was he angry? He was furious, yeah. Furious with rage, it says. Somebody read 13 through 15 for us. What mistake did you see that Nebuchadnezzar made there? Yep. He put himself before God. And he, he reverted back. What did he say in two, chapter 2 that we read at the very start of this? Your God is the God of all gods. Your God is the king of all kings. But yet, over here, he says... Is it true that you do not serve my gods? I worship the image of gold I have set up. So he's, he's saying, I got my gods back, and I've got a false idol of a god sitting here in front of us that you're supposed to worship. He couldn't believe anyone would not bow down and worship during this ecumenical ceremony that he put together. He just couldn't believe that. He said, this is for the good of the nation. This is, this is for everybody. You're in a great position here. You have the opportunity to serve. They said no. And they're going to say no here in a minute. He, 
And then he made a terrible mistake. He said, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He challenged God. Bad thing to do. They stood when they should have bowed, according to Nebuchadnezzar, and they had not respected the king in regard to his command to serve his idol. He's thinking it... it, it if you think about it from what he said in chapter 2 to what he says now, it, it, it's almost impossible to believe the same thing is coming out the same lips. But don't we see the same thing today from people in high places? <laughs> it, it, sometimes it boggles our mind. Whether it be a government official or a religious leader, it really doesn't matter. Sometimes we scratch our head and we're going, really? They said that or did that? Um, but he's telling them, don't rebel against my authority, and have you forgotten who's in charge? Have you forgotten God has ordained me as the leader of this uh, country, and Babylon is the golden head of all of this, and I'm the leader of the golden empire? And if I started out as a leader, why shouldn't I end as a leader? Now, we don't know, but we have to think, did he, did he not believe Daniel's interpretation of the dream anymore or did he just forget the fact that Daniel had interpreted the dream and what Daniel had interpreted the dream to be that that kingdom would eventually end what do you think I mean what what he completely forgot some things there He was living in the moment. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Yeah. That's gonna happen later. Yeah. Warren? Yeah, I was going to say, it's sort of like the seed cast on the bad ground, hard ground. Huh? Well, mm -hmm. absolutely. He, he said, I'm the king, I'm the head of the golden empire. He's in charge. So how did the three men answer? 16 through 18, and we'll finish here. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What do you think would happen in our society today if Christians took that type of stand? Do 
you think there'd be some kind of revival that would take place? I think it'd make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Think about this. It was a stern demand from the king that when the, when the music played and all heard it, they were supposed to fall down. All persons were supposed to prostrate themselves on the ground. And they were to pay that image homage. And by doing that, it was, a, it was a clear act of insolence if you didn't do that. The golden idol. Now think about this. Even if it was just overlaid in gold. Think about the cost of that silly thing. Think about what it would value would have been even back then. The golden image represented the state, it represented the monarch that represented the state, and it represented a false idol and a false god. But all must conform to the state religion. Have we seen that before? Yeah, we have. In a lot of different places, unfortunately. The demands were strict, the punishment was so severe, and none dared to refuse to participate. But these three did. Two means were used to persuade and frighten the people. One was fear and the other was superstition. And it's interesting because if you think about it, that's Satan's greatest ploys. He's the father of all lies, so he used superstition and fears to motivate people to do the wrong thing. The edict was clear. Bow or burn. Sort of like when we were doing street ministry. And Larry, you can relate to some of this. There's some guys you just got to tell them, you either got to turn or burn, buddy. Because you're, you're headed down the wrong path. And, and he said as head of the state and head of this country and now head of this new religion I'm trying to found, you will obey. But they said, no, we're not. And he is mad. So there's going to be some problems to pay. There's a lot of resemblances between the statue in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But one of Babylon's God, was, was, this one of, was this representative, and I want to leave you with this thought, was this a representative of one of Babylon's God that Nebuchadnezzar set up? Or was it his interpretation of the dream that Daniel gave him? Or was it himself made into this statue? Because we really don't know. We really don't know. The image possibly represented the king because the world, as the world power, Daniel told the king, you are the head of gold in chapter 2, verse 38. So it could have been that he was setting himself up as the new idol to be worshipped. We don't know. Um, the pride in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, though, caused him to erect this image, whether it was a representative of himself or representative of, a, of another god that he worshipped. There's, a, there's, there's discussion about there be between 18 and 23 years elapsing between the events of the interpretation of the dream and what we just read in chapter 3. 
this is going to get even more interesting next week when we look at the variable of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through. Do you think he feared? Do you think the king feared losing his strength and his position because of these three young men? I think... I, I think in a way he did. But but I think he thinks he's going to resolve the problem by throwing them in the furnace. And we're going to see that next week. Did he really doubt Daniel's prophetic dream interpretation? We don't know. I wonder if he thought he was not going to die and he was going to live to the end of that kingdom. That was one of the things that I thought about. But here's the bottom line. None of us are immune from the temptation to cling. And I got stuck on T's. I apologize for that. Tenaciously to our little earthly possessions or having lost sight of the brevity of life or the transitoriness of the things of this world. We're, we're in transition all the time. And the problem is we want to, you know, I still... I still have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul with all the guy's stuff in it. But a lot of times we think that way. We come into this world with nothing, we're going out of this world with nothing. Except either decision to accept Christ as our Savior or not accept Christ as our Savior. And we have to be careful about that. Okay? So we'll close there tonight and we'll get into what happens with the last part of chapter 3 next week. God be willing. Questions, thoughts, before we go into prayer time. Is this little graphic pretty good for you guys? Yeah, she showed me that last week, and I said, ooh, can I steal that? I mean, can I have that? All right, let's have some prayer time. Praises, prayer request. So I thought we'd sing, uh, bless his holy name. Acapella. <laughs> okay. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Lord, we uh, come before your throne of grace again, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray for all of these uh, requests and praises. Uh, and pray for this, uh, this weather and uh, pray that you would uh, go with all of us and as we tra travel home and keep us safe, Lord, and uh, until we come again into this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
some glad morning when this life is o'er, I fly away. 